Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. His speech colored the canvas of the cosmos. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light. But this new creation, the very good dwelling in delight, reached for mouth-watering wisdom and took a bite. With paradise behind them, they trod the dirt from which they'd been made, hoping, praying someday the voice would enter our world. He did, and nothing would ever be the same. Well, you've been hearing all about it. Um, you have the Virgin Orbit, you have SpaceX, and of course, you've been hearing about Blue Origin. These rockets that are ready to transport you, if you can afford it, into outer space. And a question I want to ask you is, if you could afford it, would you get aboard one of those rockets and try to escape gravity for a few minutes and return back to Earth? I, for one, would not. I mean, I get nervous just climbing a ladder, let alone getting on a rocket like that. So I thought, well, I'll ask my wife, Marcia, who uh, just completed her 1100th uh, solo jump, and she's having a good time out there. I said, uh, would you be willing to climb aboard one of those rockets if it was affordable? And even she said that she would have to think about it. How about you? Well, I am always interested in space and the universe, and I was thinking about all this renewed uh, interest in, split, in space exploration, and I thought about those first brave astronauts who went into outer space, and my mind was taken to one in particular, and uh, that individual uh, happens to be Colonel James Irwin, who was part of the Apollo 15 team. You see his picture here. He is the eighth man to walk on the moon. Now, what's interesting about Irwin is that at the age of 10, he says he walked away from the faith that his parents were trying to bring him up in and really walked away from God altogether. But when he walked on the moon, he said he had this spiritual experience he said there on the moon, he encountered the glory of the God that he had walked away from, and it transformed his life. In fact, he says that while he was on the lunar surface, he looked back at the planet Earth. And as he saw that beautiful planet, he not only thought about the glory of God that he felt on the moon, but he thought about the plight of humanity back on Earth. And he made up his mind that he was not going to go back home as a celebrity. But instead, he decided he was going to go back home as a servant. He was going to make it kind of the goal of his life to bring hope to humanity, the hope of God. What a changed life, huh? Because he encountered the glory of God. And you know, true to his word, when he came back to earth again, he received Christ into his life, and until he passed away, he made it his goal, his mission, to bring that hope of God's good news to the world 
around. Now, he said some interesting things about his experience on the moon. I want to share a couple of things that he said. He said, if you think it is a great event to go to the moon, how much greater that God came to the world? And I was thinking about that, and I thought, that is so, that is so true. But then I, I thought a little bit more about it, and I thought, you know, we just ooh and ah at the fact that somebody walked on something we look at in the sky, on the moon. But shouldn't we be in just as great an awe and wonder that God, who created the universe, who is infinite, would love you and me so much that he would come and literally walk on this earth? I want to welcome you to the last episode in our first season of our series, From Head to Leb. We're talking about not just having a, a knowledge about God, but also having this heartfelt relationship with God. Leb being that Hebrew word that speaks of that innermost part of our being. And so in season one of what we call beginnings, we've been talking about who is Jesus? What is the meaning behind life? Who are you and who am I? Last weekend, we looked, at, we looked at sin and what it is and how it separates us from God. But then in the midst of all of that, we've been talking about how Jesus has come in order to reconcile us back into a relationship with God. I came across this, this picture uh, uh, recently, and I just can't get it out of my mind because it's such a beautiful picture, what I'm trying to describe. It pictures Jesus like a bridge across this chasm. And, um, and he, what he did is he came to make it possible for us to cross over from this sinful, dark world over into eternal life by putting our faith in him. And that's the, that's the awesome story that we have to tell. It's the awesome story that God invites us to actually live out. And it's what this head to lab journey is all about. It's, it's moving into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is coming to know Jesus intimately through the gospel of John as he shares with us and teaches us what it means to have a relationship with God, to know him in a personal way. Well, in this uh, particular last episode, I want to explore an idea with you that maybe you haven't thought much about before, but it is key if we're going to really know Christ in a deep and meaningful way. Here's the idea. It goes like this. Until you really see the glory of Jesus, you will never experience and be overcome by the power of God's grace. Now that word overcome is a powerful word, isn't it? And it can be used positively or it can be used negatively. Negatively, for instance, I could say, ah, oh, I've been overcome with fear. Or I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be around somebody who's overcome with anger. But it can also be used positively. One could be overcome with love. I remember when I first met my wife, Marcia, I was overcome, 
actually I was smitten with love for her. I mean, I would sit next to her. It would be electrical. I remember the first time I held my children in my arms. I was overcome with just love and joy about them. And I remember when I first held our grandchildren, overcome with that sense of love and that sense of joy. I want to ask you a question. Who or what has overcome you in your life with joy and wonder and love? Can you think of that person? Can you think of that place? When's the last time you really experienced something like that? Actually, let me ask you this question. And that is, when was the last time you were overcome by the love and joy of being in the presence of the glory of Jesus? That's worth asking again. When was the last time you were overcome by the love and joy of being in the presence and the glory of Jesus? Listen to John chapter 1. Here's what he says. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love. God's love never fails. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John says, we've seen him. And we've seen his glory. Not just, you know, human glory, but we have seen the glory of, of God in Jesus. Now, later on at the end of the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples, but one of them happened to be missing. Remember who it was? Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas. In fact, Thomas told his peers, he said, you know, unless I see those scars, put my hand in those scars, <laughs> I'm not going to believe it. And then suddenly Jesus appeared, and Thomas was there, and he cries out. He says, my Lord and my God, and I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what Jesus says to him, because you're in it, okay? Here's what he says. John 20, 29, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those, that's you and me, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that includes you and me. My point here is you don't have to physically see Jesus to experience his glory. You can experience his glory by and through faith. Or look at this statement. You don't have to physically see Jesus to experience his glory. You just need to believe with your mind and trust with your lab, with your gut, your whole being that he is the Son of God and the implications of what that means. Believe it with your whole being. So the question I want to ask is, how do you, how do you experience the glory of God? How, how can that be something that you become more present to, more aware of in your life? Because it's so transforming. Like it was for Irwin when he was there on the moon. It can be true for you and for me. 
And I think one of the things we have to understand is the glory of, of God isn't something you have to go looking for. It's not necessarily some mystical kind of experience, right? Maybe the glory of God is already around us and in us, but we don't have the eyes to see because our eyes and our focus is in the wrong place. We don't know how. We don't know how to rest in. We don't know how to become present to his glory. So what I want to do for just a few minutes is I want to talk about how to become present to the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy a really good movie, and they're hard to come by these days. But there is nothing worse in the world than to be watching some movie and really be into it, right? Some, you know, something really suspenseful, something very dramatic, and suddenly the power goes out, or the internet goes down, or the cable quits, or the DVR breaks. And you go by 15, 20 minutes, and you're trying to get this thing working and fixed, and all of a sudden it comes back on again, and you realize, oh my goodness, I have missed so much that I have no clue now what is going on. I don't know what happened. I don't know where it's going. That can be so frustrating unless you're watching a Hallmark movie, and then you really only need to see, you know, the credits, and you can figure it out because it's kind of like boy meets girl, boy, girl, fall in love, there's a crisis, boy, girl, break up. Somebody says something to bring them back together again. Boy, girl, reconcile, get married, and live happily ever after. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one of those movies where if you don't have every scene and every beat down, you can't figure it out. Life is kind of like that. Life is a story. It's an unfolding kind of drama. And there are a lot of people today, and maybe you're one of them, who's confused about this story called life. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. You know, you know there's tension. You know it, there's a need for resolution. You know something's missing, and it just fills you with anxiety. It's like, it's like missing the chapter in the book. It's like missing a scene in the movie. I can't figure it all out. What is life all about? And we try to plug in answers that don't seem to work until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, the puzzle gets clear. The scene gets filled. The chapter gets put in. When I believe in who Jesus is, that he came from God, that he is very God, that he lets us know that there is a reason behind this world, that he lets us know that God loves us, but sin separated us from him, but that Jesus came to be that bridge we saw to bring us back into relationship with God, that when we put our faith in him, we don't have to fear death, but after death comes resurrection and comes eternal life and a future that is so extraordinary can't even be defined. When that gets settled into our mind, it gives us peace. And guess what? When you get to that place where you have that sense that I understand it now, I'm okay, I am good, you begin to experience the glory of God. Or if you want to put it in a principle, think about this. By realizing that Jesus makes sense out of life, we experience the glory of his presence because he makes us feel complete. He makes us feel complete. I don't know if you ever had a situation where there was a lot of tension. 
and somebody came alongside and they gave you some clarity, some explanation, and then you were, oh, okay, everything's good. I, I was worried at first. I thought something was wrong. I didn't understand this. I give you an example. I, I recently had my physical and there was a result on the physical and I'm not a doctor and the way I read it did not, didn't look very good for me, all right? I was like majorly concerned about this until I called somebody who was an expert and I said, this is what I read, what does this mean? And they helped me understand how the percentiles were, were being laid out. And it wasn't telling me that I was in trouble, it was actually telling me that, that I'm far from being in trouble. And you know, all of a sudden I just felt like, ah, I can relax now, I'm healthy, I'm good. And so many people are stressed out about life right now, but when, when God comes in, he brings us his peace. Oh my goodness, it is so settling, you see. And as we get settled in that, we become more aware of him, and we become more aware of him. That's when we begin to experience the glory of God. But let me give you another way that we experience the glory of God. Watch this. When you meditate and soak in the glory of who Jesus is, it grips you with humility and awe. Now, notice what I said. When you meditate and soak, have you ever just, I don't know, I don't, I'm more of a shower person than a bath person, but if you've ever taken a bath or gone into the hot tub, you just sit there and you soak, right? When's the last time you soaked in the presence of God? When we stop and we think and we meditate on who he is and what he has done for us, it brings a sense of humility and awe. And that humility and that awe leads to a sense of his glory. But let's talk a little bit about God's glory. In the Hebrew, it's the word kavod or kavod. And God's Kavod, the word means it's his weight, okay, or the weightiness of God. So when we talk about the glory of God, it's the weightiness of God. When John talks about the glory of Jesus, it's the weightiness of Jesus. And I love that scene in Exodus chapter 19, when the weightiness of God settles down on Mount Sinai while the children of Israel are camping in the wilderness and turns that mountain into like a volcanic inferno. I want to read you the words Listen to this, Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. You know, a little later on in Exodus chapter 33, Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. And listen to how God responds to him in verse 20. 
but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live, the Lord continued. Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. I mean, even a guy like Moses cannot behold the glory of God and live. And, you know, some people struggle with this. Because in their mind, it's like, well, what kind of God is this that, you know, just looking at him would, would kill you? Is he, does he not like us? Is he upset with us? I mean, what's that all about? No, no, no. God loves us. The problem isn't God. The problem's us. It's our sinfulness. It's like trying to mix oil and water. It just doesn't work. Better, I guess a better analogy might be, say, mixing vinegar and baking soda. You're going to have some major reaction here. No, God wants to be in relationship with us, but he's a holy and pure God. We are unholy and impure. And we just, we just, we don't fit together, so to speak. The mix isn't, the mix isn't there in our hearts and in our lives. Let me, let me come at it from a different uh, perspective. Let me draw something out for you uh, for just a moment. I want you to think about the solar system. You know, our solar system has, has a solar in the middle, right? You have the sun. And then you've got eight, some people say nine planets, poor Pluto, all right, that are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, that are all around the sun in, in a orbit around. And gravity and all those things that are important Everything's held together. Well, what if each of these planets out here decided they didn't want to orbit the sun anymore? They were going to orbit a different object. And they all chose different objects. Do you know the chaos that would create, the collisions that would happen as a result of that? So let's uh, think about this differently. Let's think about God as the solar. You know, God created the heavens and the earth with the idea that everything would more or less, I should say less, everything would rotate around him. But what happened in the garden? We looked at that last weekend. What happened in the garden is humankind said, I, I don't want to rotate around you. I want to rotate around something else. I want to rotate around myself. And as a result of that, because we have taken God out of the center and put something else in called sin, all right, it leads to collision. It leads to collision with the thing that we put in the middle. It leads to a collision with God. And so people put things like sex to rotate their life around or success or materialism or relationships or social media or their job, their career or drugs or marijuana or alcohol or food or fitness or any number of things can go in there. As we're all choosing these different things to, you know, rotate our lives around, it just leads leads to a collision. I was reminded of my, my dearest friend growing up in high school. Rich was his name. And Rich's whole life, our senior year, rotated around this this girl that he was in love with. And he already had a job lined up after high school. He's going to work for GM, make big money. He's going to buy a place, build a house, and he was going to marry her. And then she broke up with him and left him. And uh, he couldn't cope with it. So he went from revolving his life around her to revolving his life around alcohol. His dad had been an, an alcoholic. And I'll never forget the night I found Rich in a drunken stupor, and I 
saw him at a football game. I was home from college. I drove him home, watched him stagger into the house. I went back to my house, and in between that time, he took his life. Now, he lived eight weeks from the gunshot wound, and in those eight weeks, he gave his life to Christ, and then he, and then he passed away. So I thank God that he, that he gave his life to the Lord. But the tragedy of watching somebody build their life around the wrong thing is devastating. And, and this past year, I've, I've just been so disheartened by pastors, some who I know, some whose books I've read, some who I don't know, who've been fired for abuse, who've been fired for arrogance, who've been fired for immorality. And I just look at these, these people that I've had such respect for, and I wonder what happened to them. They started to rotate their life around the wrong things. I mean, you can even rotate your life around the institutional church. You can even rotate it around religion. The minute God's not in the center, you're going to have a collision with whatever you put in the center. And that leads to a collision then with God. But here is the good news. And the good news is that the God whose glory descending on the Mount Sinai turned it into this raging inferno, who says to Moses, you cannot look at me and live, becomes human gives up his glory, so to speak, and becomes encapsulated in a body like yours and mine so we can be in relationship with God, so we can be in intimacy with God, so we can be connected with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? And that, that should just move us into his presence. Because if you put anybody or anything else in your life, it's going to move you out of his presence. I was reading a, um, a millennial blogger. Her name is Jasmine. I don't know if she's a follower of Christ or not. I, I don't think she is. But she did a really good job in understanding her tribe, so to speak, and talking about the kinds of things that young adults today, your children, grandchildren, you young adults have a tendency to rotate around. And she calls it this thing. She goes, you know, we got to stop rotating our lives around this thing, building our lives around this thing. And I just want to quickly share with you the three things she mentioned. One is, she says, your life, you know, you, you can't let your life revolve around your, your crush or your significant other. And then she just says, because one day your crush or significant other may walk away from you or may disappear, or may die and be gone. And what, what are you going to be left with? And then she goes on and she says, you can't let your life be wrapped up in your self-image. I thought that was really courageous for her to call that out. You know, it's like, what do people think of me and how do I perform and how do I look and do I have enough likes? Will everybody like me? Because she says, if you do that, you're going you're gonna to crash and burn. And then she goes on and she adds even another one. She says, you, you know, you can't let your life be wrapped around a dream. And that gets all you can think about, what I want to become and, you know, where I want to live and who I want to marry or who I want to be with. And you just work and work and work to achieve all that. And then one day, boom, it's all gone. And she goes, and what do you have left? problem is she never really answers the whole issue. She just raises up, you know, all the things we could try to prop our lives up against that, that in the end just kind of leave us empty. 
And this whole idea that, well, then I just have to kind of, I just have to depend on myself. We'll see next weekend or in a couple of weekends why that doesn't work. But when we put God in the center, it all comes to pass. And what's so amazing is this, that he wants to take that glory that we saw in the Old Testament that was so dangerous, and look what he wants to do. He wants to come, and he wants to take that glory and inhabit you and me with it. Think about that. The glory of God that settled on the mountain, the glory of God that came to the tabernacle, the glory of God that came to the temple and the Holy of Holies, the glory of God seen in Jesus. Now that glory wants to come and rest in you and me. See, how can we even, how can I even say that without it causing my knees to buckle? I mean, think about that for a moment. Isn't that staggering? Soak in that. Soak in that. If you're a follower of Christ, the glory of God, all the glory of God has become resident in you. That's just staggering. That's, as they say, mind-blowing. Why on earth would I want to put my life, base my life, rotate my life around anyone or anything else other than God himself. Peter says this. He says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Though you do not see him now, you trust him. See, there's the key. With all your leb, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Are you trusting him? I know you trust him. But I mean, are you like trusting him completely, totally free-spirited in him? Has he become your element, so to speak, for your life and, and in your life? You know, you can always tell when you're not, you can always tell when you're not fully resting and trusting in him because, number one, you, you get unhappy. Unhappiness is just, it's just a sign. It's just a sign that I'm looking for my happiness in transitory things that come and go and don't anchor me, don't give me security. Or you're feeling lots of guilt and lots of shame, like Adam and Eve did. You're running from God instead of to God. Are you unhappy today? Who's at the center of your life? Are you filled with guilt and shame today? Who's at the center of your life? He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you. He wants to make you and he wants to make me whole again. That's who God is. He loves you. He loves me. He's made his glory to inhabit you and to inhabit me. Well, listen, one more thought. And here it is. When you focus on the glory of Jesus, when you soak, you become aware and present to his glory in your life now and around your life, you will look at everything else in your life differently. You will. 
I love what the Apostle Paul says. He talks about these light and momentary tribulations that he's suffering. These light and momentary tribulations. How could he say that? Paul was in jail. He was beaten nearly to death. I mean, that guy suffered lots of things. How can he say light momentarily? Because, you see, his focus is on the Lord. His focus is on the glory of God. And it gives him an entirely different perspective of everything else. Where is your focus? Who is your focus on? Can I just say this? And I know we've been talking about it, but we can't seem to get quite over it. A lot of us, a lot of us, we're too focused on the darkness of this world. We're focused on the pandemic. We're focused on the vaccines. We're focused on masks. We're focused on conspiracy theories. We're focused on politicians. We're focused on all the trouble. We're focused on so many negative things that, you know what? We have crowded out the glory of God. As one Messianic rabbi said, When Jesus came to this world, he didn't come to get rid of evil. He brought the presence of God. He didn't come to get rid of, he didn't make the darkness go away. He shined the light in the darkness. And our focus needs to not be on the evil in this world, but on on God, his presence. Not on the darkness in the world, but the light of his presence. Not on the sorrow, but on the joy of his presence. Not on the hate of this world, but the love of God. Where's your focus? Who's your focus on? Are you enjoying the glory of God? A friend of mine recently said, you know, in his mind, to experience the glory of God is to to have freedom in God. It's just to enjoy God. So I want to take you back to that picture of my wife, Barsha, up in the air, because there's a reason why this picture's here. Not just to brag, but I can brag about my wife, right? But the reason I want to show you this is I want you to realize she's in her element. Ah, wait a minute. An eagle, a hawk, a bird would be in their element, A human is not in their element when they are falling through the air. But she's learned to make this environment her element of joy. I don't know if you can tell, but there's a big smile on her face there. I would have had a heart attack already and died, okay? But there's a big smile on her face there. Why? Because she has learned how to skydive. She has practiced 1,100 times how to skydive, as she has faith in this thing back here called a parachute. Because she's learned, she's practiced, and she has faith in that parachute. She has learned to enjoy this tremendous environment. And this time of year, the fall, the tree, she tells me, is so beautiful at altitude. She literally gets her high, no pun on words, (laughs) when she's up here and like James Irwin experiences the glory of God. You and I are being called to live in our element. Do you know what our element is? Our element is the presence of God. But it's something we have to learn, practice, and we have to trust Jesus. 
who he is and what he said and all that he's brought into our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want, we want to experience your glory. Please, Lord, help us not to look for any more answers. We have all the answers of life in Jesus. He makes sense out of life here and in the life to come. Lord, help us to learn how to soak in the awe of who Jesus is and that you would take that glory and come and inhabit us. Lord, help us to look at life differently as we think about what awaits us. Help us, Lord, to learn to live in the element of your presence and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We have an assignment for you this week to help you come into the glorious presence of God. And you can go again to uh, the page on our website where our life group questions are. All my notes are on there and your little assignment. I want to present to you um, some attributes of God. And I want you to take one a day, and I've laid it out there for you. We've, Josh McDowell gave us um, permission to use this because he has some great statements that go with this. Let, let me just give you a, a couple of them so you have a taste of what you're going to get. So, for instance, because God is all-powerful, all right, he can help me with anything. Because God knows everything. And then there's a great statement and verses to go with each one of these. Take one a day, soak in it, meditate on it. Become more aware of God. In a couple weekends, I'm going to teach you a principle that will build into that awareness as we begin season two. Right now, I'm going to turn over to our campus pastors who are going to celebrate Holy Communion with those at our various campuses. Those of you who are with me online, if you would just simply take out that little piece of bread or cup that you may have gathered together. We're reminded about the meaning of this meal that represents the very life of Jesus given for you and given for me. The glory of God, the glory of God that he would give up his life for you and for me. And when we take and we partake of this meal, there's a sense by faith that we are participating in that which is truly glorious. This is powerful. Jesus said, this is my body. It was given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup, it's a promise, it's a covenant. A covenant that I now make with you. I'm giving my blood up for you. And as you put your faith in me, I will save you. You know, blood is precious. You know, in the human body, there are 10 pints of blood. If you give up one pint of blood, you'll get paid two or $300 for that. And it can save up to three lives. Jesus' blood is infinite in its value. And Jesus' blood saves every life. Let us partake. Father, thank you for this sacred meal, this holy reminder. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.